Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in everybody to the first episode of Strictly NFL Podcast. I'm Khan. Uh, I'm obviously new with the Strickland, so it's nice to meet you guys. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Constantine underscore underscore. It's two underscores. And I'm here with my co-host, Jeff Rasmussen. You've seen him on the run dot down with Sam and Tyrese. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. Excited to talk some football. You know, I'm it's gonna be a little bit of a transition spending so much of the year talking basketball, but I think I'm up to the task. Uh who isn't excited about football season, you know? Yeah, man. It's hitting everybody. It's hitting everybody. Before we actually get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strick.land on IG. Posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you have not done so already, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise available on our website for purchase. You can check that out at www.thestrick.land. There's a link there that will take you to the store. And uh, you will find all kinds of stuff on there, like t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, water bottles, you name it. We've got it. Again, that is available on our website. And then finally, the Strickland has a Patreon that you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag. Hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Miko that comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, around Rant and Rave about the next few more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier that's going to a variety of additional benefits like listening on a pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you, and none of this would be possible without Bet Bet BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and match reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting in your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. It is at the time of this recording, seven days from the Thursday Night Football kickoff, right around this time as well. And it's exciting. Uh, it's going to be a great season, in my opinion, for a lot of teams, a lot of stuff around the league. But if you're tuning in, you're tuning in for the New York teams, tuning in for the Jets, the Giants. A little fantasy talk, a little gambling talk. We're going to hit on all that stuff. So to start things off, the team that's been catching the most headlines in New York this summer is the Jets. Obviously, they've brought in pretty high-name value quarterback. Uh, they've had a lot of stuff going on with trades, with their draft class. But one guy we really wanted to touch on more than anybody, somebody who's been here for a couple of years already, that's Mekhi Beckton. A lot of people say, he is one of the keys for this team this year. Obviously, move over to right tackle uh, to accommodate Dwayne Brown coming in last year. And we just wanted to start off talking about him. So, Jeff, you got any thoughts on Makai to kick things off? 
Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a pretty much a make-or-break year for him. Um, the interesting thing about his situation is, uh, as me and you talked about before, um, before we came on here, uh, Dwayne Brown is 37 years old, uh, and the Jets are counting on him at left tackle. And obviously when the Jets drafted Becton a few years ago in that super loaded left tackle class, you know, the, the Bucks, the Giants – um, they both took left tackles. The idea was that Becton was going to be their left tackle of the future. That's what they were hoping for. And it hasn't really worked out that way. Um, obviously, he's gotten a, a little bit unlucky, but he also, when he's been on the field, has been pretty inconsistent. And I'd say that this camp has probably been the most promising stretch of his young career. And the Jets really, really want him to carry that over to this season because the idea is going forward that, He's their left tackle. That's what they drafted him for. And yeah, I mean, he's he could he could make himself a lot of money this season. Yeah. Absolutely. Makai is somebody who coming out of college, I had him up there as potentially the best uh left tackle prospect or just tackle prospect in his draft. And it's been upsetting to see how he's had so many injuries, right? A lot of freak stuff going on. And it's hindered the Jets so much, not only because he was a bust so far. I should say he's extremely talented. Um, but the rest of his draft class has also been not great. And that was the very first draft class for Joe Douglas in New York. So that's kind of put them behind the eight ball. Might be a reason why this rebuild has taken longer than some people expected. But they've really started to put a lot of talent together. And the expectations are high now, obviously. Um, the last part, or the next part, I should say, that we wanted to get into was Corey Davis and how his retirement, his whole situation, what's, what's going on has affected the entire receiver room and really the entire offense for the Jets. So uh, let me get your thoughts on that real quick. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge deal because, I mean, first of all, the Jets had a ton of options this offseason that they could, I mean, they could have added depth to the, to the wide receiver room. Um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins goes to Tennessee. You got to imagine a team like New York considers Hopkins if they know Corey Davis is retiring. Or what about Elijah Moore? You know, like they trade Elijah Moore. Um, I know he's been disappointing, to say the least, or, or he was disappointing in New York, but he showed flashes, especially in his rookie season. And I'd imagine a huge reason they were willing to trade him for – you know, a kind of underwhelming return is Elijah Moore saw bigger things for him. So it was kind of a mutually beneficial trade, you know, but mm -hmm. if they know Corey Davis is retiring, all of a sudden you get Elijah Moore in his third year, um, pairing him with Aaron Rodgers, like you could just turn around and justify that pick immediately. And then some, you know, like that, mm -hmm. that's a perfect fit. But then all of a sudden Corey Davis is, you, you think you have Corey Davis and, okay, it's easier to trade Elijah Moore when, when Corey Davis isn't there. This just, I mean, their wide receiver room is probably probably the weak point of their roster, which on one hand is saying something because they have Garrett Wilson on their team. Like, if you have second-year Garrett Wilson on your team and your receivers are the weak point of your whole team, okay, that's a good thing. But they have 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers. They're trying to win a championship, you know, in the next year or two. And they can't be worried about, like, are receivers good enough? And behind him, they have, you know, Lazard and Cobb. Um, 
okay. <laughs> That's not super exciting, but I, I will I, I do want to reiter, reiterate one thing I said to you uh, last week when we were talking, just uh, sort of seeing what we thought of the teams and stuff. You know, Garrett Wilson is the skill guy. Like, Garrett Wilson's the guy who's going to get the majority of the targets. That's that's the that's the guy who can defy fit. And football is a game where sometimes fit matters more than skill once you get to a certain point. And look, I'm not saying it I, I'm not saying that they don't they they wouldn't be helped having more skill more skilled receivers at second and third receiver. But what I am saying is that it is possible that Aaron Rodgers is the type of improvising quarterback who could value guys like Lazard and Cobb, who will know when he wants to leave the pocket, know where he wants his receivers to go. And so I guess what I'm saying is that it's possible that this receiving core with a super talented guy like Wilson and then a couple guys who really know Rodgers well, they could actually end up being greater than the sum of its parts, which would be a really good thing for the Jets. That, I agree, is a good point, and it kind of – reflects on a big criticism that I've had with the Giants for a little while where we don't have constantly with Daniel Jones for for the first three years of his season. You know, he's throwing to Kenny Galladay. Oh, actually, no, Kenny Galladay's hurt. We're going to throw to XYZ. First couple of years, Golden Tate. Oh, Golden Tate's hurt. We're going to throw to XYZ. It's really hard to, to kind of have that rapport with a quarterback and being so familiar with Lazard and with Cobb is – probably a big reason why they were okay with trading Elijah Moore. The one thing that I'm curious about with them is if they were to go back to draft night, would they still take Will McDonald over JSN, Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba? I mean, I'm not one to doubt Joe Douglas and what he sees with line play specifically because he's great at evaluating that stuff. But where are you on that? Because I think that might be a big, pretty big oversight on his part. Yeah. Well, maybe not oversight because – like, he couldn't have known Corey Davis was going to retire. Yeah. But, I mean, look, if if somebody else is in the room, like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be absurd here. Let's say you're in the room, you know, and you're you're pointing out how good Smith and Jigba is. Like, this is – if you look at his peripherals and his analytics at, at Ohio State, this is, like, a top, top, top tier wide receiver prospect. That, and yeah. I, it's kind of shocking that he fell to Seattle as far as, far as he did. And the thing is, is that when you have a coach who's a defensive-minded coach and they already have the defensive skill position players they do, if you're a GM, you kind of want to look the other direction because Salah's going to maximize – if he's going to maximize one thing, it's the defense. Say what you yeah. want about him as a coach. Maybe you don't believe in him, you know, his fourth-down decision-making. Maybe you don't believe in him, whatever. But that guy knows how to coach a defense. He just does. And so if, if it's a flip of the coin to you, you kind of want to lean offense because he needs more help there. That's, that's where he needs the help. And combine that with if they had found out about Corey Davis a few months earlier, there's not a doubt in my mind that they would take Smith and, J- and Jigba. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's an easy pick there if they, if they could do it again. I think a big part of things also is, as you talked about before, with how fit matters a lot more than talent sometimes. I don't look at this just receiving room and think, oh, they have somebody who kind of profiles similarly to Jason. You know, Lazard, you could say he's, you know, a guy who can play in the slot, but mainly he's going to be an outside guy. He isn't really a quick twitch, you know, like he can't really run an option route 
so effectively. Um, a guy like, uh, sorry, excuse me, Nicole Hardman, more of an outside guy, more of a burner. I think that JSN would have brought an extra dynamic to this Jets receiving room. So a guy who, you know, can be a, obviously Garrett Wilson can command 8 to 10 to 12 targets per game, but just somebody who you know can be really reliable in the short game. And Aaron Rodgers talked about how he wants to be here more than one season, potentially more than two seasons. I think he could have really grown with Aaron, and all of a sudden you don't really have a one- to two-year window. You have potentially a three-year window, potentially a four-year window if Zach Wilson really does learn from Aaron Rodgers. So time is going to tell with that pick. Um, Will McDonald, to me, is still pretty great talent. However, it's just I think the risk-reward with him isn't something that I would have taken at this point in time for the Jets. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. I um, it's it's not even like we're saying he can't be a good player. You know, like yeah. that's, that's not at all what we're saying. It's more just like all of a sudden there's this huge hole in their roster that could have just been filled up. Not, I mean, they could they could, and we didn't even mention that. Garrett Wilson and JSN have the Ohio State connection, you know? Like, the, yeah. the Jets could just have those two guys in the locker room for the next 10 seasons together. Um, and then, not to mention, you know, okay, Rodgers plays two seasons in New York, plays three seasons in New York. You got to think that they part of them is hoping that Zach Wilson learned something from Aaron Rodgers. Okay, Zach Wilson stepping in at 25, 26 years old when Aaron Rodgers retires. Now he's got two young stud receivers just ready for him, you know, yeah. like all these, all these things matter. Um, and I do feel like they might've, they might, they might regret that one looking back. Going back to the rookie class for them, I would be a bit remiss if I didn't touch on Joe Tittman, who I think is a pretty great interior line prospect. He was at Wisconsin uh, Joe Rudolph recruit who has a great history with offensive linemen, and he is just a massive, massive prospect. I mean, we saw Joe Douglas go after Mackay Beckton, like we said before, who is about six eight. I want to say maybe like three fifty, three sixty. Sorry, Mackay, I got your weight wrong. But Joe Tittman is a center who stands at six foot six. You don't really see that a lot. You see a lot of guys six two, six three, maybe six four. But this guy's tackle size, playing on the inside, and he moves really well. So. I think he could be a huge piece for this Jets offensive line as the season goes on. I think he's going to take somebody's spot, whether it's Lakin Tomlinson or whether it's Connor McGovern. And so, so sorry to interrupt, but you see yeah. him. You see a world where he, you know, because he, he's coming in as a center. Yeah. You see a world where he plays guard. Ne- I think year. so. Yeah, because he can do a lot of the stuff that. You know, you really see the elite guards get called on for, like, like a Zach Martin. These guys separate themselves because athletically they can do stuff that other guards can't, whether it's on a pulling play, whether it's, you know, getting up to the back or on the second level for a runoff of a double team. There's a lot of athleticism that goes into being a guard that a lot of times we don't really pick up on as fans. And he is the elite, you know, 99 percentile athlete that I think can get to that kind of level eventually. Yeah, um, what you said about guards is spot on. I mean, obviously tackles get all the the sort of like fanfare. Like everybody knows, you got to protect the blind side, and yeah. And then you know, I feel like centers 
get known a lot because a lot of times they develop good chemistry with their quarterback. Like who does remember Jeff Saturday with Peyton Manning, you know, like old recruits and shit. Like everybody talks about, you know, a center is like kind of leader, but guards are actually the ones who like, you know, on those play actions are the ones pulling and sweeps. They're out there running. Like I, I couldn't agree with you more that they sort of get, they, they fly under the radar with how valuable they can be. Yeah. And, Going back to what you said about centers and having a relationship with their quarterback, one interesting thing from the Jets-Giants preseason game was on that fade route to Garrett Wilson for the touchdown, they asked Aaron Rodgers about it after the game, and he said, yeah, that was a check from Connor McGovern, who was the starting center, and he called it out to me, and I was like, yeah, we'll take that shot. So that's a, that, that goes right in line with what you said, and I think that – kind of gives me more the impression that Lakin's spot might be more up for grabs, even though he got paid big money last year, even though he had a pedigree coming in from San Francisco. This is still the NFL, and I don't 100% know what his uh, year three looks like on his contract, whether he's going to have a lot of dead money or not. But there's spots that are going to be up for grabs, and people don't even know it, especially when you have a second-round pick rookie coming in. That's a really cool story. Like, you don't hear that too often about – centers being the one to like make checks at the line yeah especially a quarterback like um especially a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers who's obviously been around the block and then you have Connor McGovern who's I mean he's uh he's 30 years old so it's not like it's not like he's this like super seasoned veteran yeah um and and I want to say you know about that about that Garrett Wilson touchdown like I know this isn't really hard-hitting analysis (laughs) but there's the, there's this really famous drive from like five or six years ago. Um, uh, NFL Films covered it. It was when the Packers played the Cowboys in Dallas, and Rod. It was it was one of the Rodgers comebacks in Dallas, but not not the playoff one, but in the regular season. Okay. And uh, so he drove him down the field. They they got the ball like down three with like a minute and a half left on their own ten or whatever. He just blitzed them down the field, and uh, they get to the ten yard line. And this was like Devontae Adams coming out party. Devontae Adams ran one of those back shoulder fades in the end zone and Rodgers missed him. And in the NFL films coverage, he runs back to the huddle. And like, this was like young 24 year old Devontae Adams, you know, one of his first big seasons and Rodgers just like, shit, sorry, man. And Adams just like, do it again, do it again. And then they just ran literally the exact same play and for a game winning touchdown. And you just watch that Rodgers to Garrett Wilson throw. And it's literally like the exact same play. And, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'm not a Jets fan, but if I was a Jets fan, I would be thinking big things watching Garrett Wilson. It would be it would be hard for me not to be super hyped. <laughs> they they play really similarly, and I and I think if I'm not mistaken, yeah, they have the same number. So Garrett Gary Wilson right now is 17 for the Jets, and Devontae Adams is 17 for the Packers. So that's 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 crazy to think about that parallel, going from guys who are just they win in the same exact way. They yeah. win with foot speed. They win with a little bit of hand fighting at the ball, the catch point. And then when they got the rock, you can't really bring them down. So in a weird way, cause I know Adams, Adams has to have like an inch or two on Garrett Wilson, right? I think so, but I can check it out. Yeah. Um, no, I was, just, I, I think I actually like Garrett Wilson's like footwork at the line a little bit better than Adams. Like, um, Weird reminder, but Wilson actually reminds me of like Judy. Like, remember when Jerry Judy came out of Bama? Yeah. Everybody freaking loved his footwork, like the things he could do. 
Garrett Wilson has that, but he's a much more reliable pass catcher. He has like, I don't know. It's like you mix Judy's super footwork with, I don't know, Devontae Adams' like hands and like and the way he wins like against quarterbacks. It's crazy. He's he's legitimately one of the most talented receivers I've seen. Well, I remember uh, at camp last year, he was getting a lot of like Justin Jefferson comps, and hearing this, I'm like, relax. Justin Jefferson just had like 1,700 yards. Like, what are you doing? But seeing him play, especially in that game against Chicago that he had, the way he not only comes off the line, but when he has the ball, how quick he is to, you know, with his, whether it's a spin, whether it's a juke, a dead leg, whatever, he reminds me so much of Odell in the open field. It's, it's so freaky. Seeing Odell for, you know, five years as a Giants fan, like, you know, I'm pretty familiar with him taking a slant to the house and Garrett yeah. gives me the same vibes. Odell was, oh, man, it's weird. Again, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a Giants fan. I'm a Broncos fan. For people who are listening to this for the first time and don't know me, I'm a Knicks Broncos fan, one of a kind. Um, so it's weird to get nostalgic for something, but. You like orange I'll, and blue, Jeff. You like orange I'll, and blue. <laughs> I'll be honest. I I throw on Odell Giants highlights probably like once a month just to like that was that was just a special special run and yeah like the the exact thing that you're talking about he would just he would take like a twelve quick twelve yard quick slide and just house it you know like for sixty yard touchdowns it was crazy and to your point you could just see Garrett Garrett Wilson doing the exact same thing. So with all the all the great Jets talk that we're having, singing their praises. Bet online has them at a nine and a half over under this season at minus one forty. And just a quick reminder that Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting needs. You can get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and many more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available right from your phone. So you can head to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, which is B-L-E-A-V, for 50% off on your welcome bonus for the first deposit. So now that we got the over-under line out there, nine and a half, where do you see the Jets falling with that? I just think you have to take the over. I don't know. I mean, they are the Jets. More hard-hitting analysis. like that, that, That's such a lame thing to say. Um, <laughs> but... Man, it's just – so the thing about betting is, like, a lot of people – you know, I a lot of people like to think betting is sort of, like, linear, you know? Like, so they'll take, like, oh, the Jets won X games last season, and then now they added Aaron Rodgers. So surely it's just X plus how many games you think Rodgers is going to add. Yeah. But it, it doesn't always work like that. You know, the example I told you last week was – the, the 2009 Bears, you know, they, they won eight games in 2008 or they won seven or eight games in 2008. And then they went from Kyle Orton to Jay Cutler. And, like, people, you know, meme Jay Cutler all they want. But in 2009, he was a 25-year-old quarterback coming off of, like, one of the best offensive seasons in the league. You know, like, he was – the Broncos were the best offense in football. He was really, really good. Um, and so, like, I just remember back then being like, okay, and now the Bears over under is seven and a half. What, what – fuck is happening here but what i didn't understand back then the young pop 19 year old jeff Rass didn't understand is that the bears the previous season won eight games with like a crazy turnover differential their pythag wins was actually like six and a half or something and 
So it was it wasn't even really a regression for the Bears to only win seven or eight or whatever they won the next season. It was it was reasonable for Vegas to expect that. And so a lot of people are gonna see what the Jets win total was last season and then look at this over under and be kind of surprised, like how could it be this? But I just you know, I feel I feel obligated to remind people that these Vegas books know what they're doing. You know, like they're, these, this line is is pretty is probably going to be pretty close. Um, but the reason I would take the over is I just think that a healthy Aaron Rodgers provides a pretty high floor. Um, and I'll hand it over to you. I, I just I think the floor is there, and so I think I think they'll be able to get there. Yeah, and just to reference what you said real quick, a lot of people might not know what Pythag uh win sorry what would you say again i forgot the oh i said high bag win loss sorry yeah yeah no i I, i've known what it is and i i've looked at it before but can you tell the people kind of like what goes into it yeah sure so it's just basically um it's basically what um your projected win loss would be based on uh, like advanced, like some some advanced analytics. Like a lot of it is like point differential, so it is it can be kind of skewed. You know, like if you have like a single blowout win or a single blowout loss, it can yeah. it can be a little skewed. But um, yeah, it it basically factors in a lot of other elements because there's there's honestly a lot of luck in winning winning and losing games each season, especially like who performs the best in close in single single score games. That is extremely fluky from season to season. Read a read a Bill Barnwell projection article, and he'll talk about the flukiness of oh the Giants went you know seven and one. I, I'm making this up. I don't know if the Giants actually did, but I'm just the Giants went seven and one in one score games last season. So that'll probably regress, you know. Like and so Pythag kind of accounts for that, you know. If if you're what's the example? Oh, the Vikings last season, perfect yeah. example. The Vikings were. I don't even know if they were on a neutral field, home field, uh, if they were f- betting favorites against the Giants last in the playoffs last season. I think it closed at like minus one or minus two. I could be wrong, but I think I think they were minus one. Yeah, and so the books actually liked the Giants more, and the the Vikings had a really good record, but they just absolutely god moded in close games. Yeah, so. If you look at their Pythag record versus their actual record, Pythag probably wouldn't like them as much as actual record does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's just sort of a, I guess, I, I don't want to say better, but a, a different way to look at how a team performed than just pure win loss. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I think the Vikings were 9 and 0 or 10 and 0 in one possession games. So that was, that was a crazy outlier season. But going back to the Jets and my prediction for them. I'm going to take the over with you. I I do think they're going to hit maybe 11 wins this season. The only kind of uh, tr- problem I have with that is we did look at their schedule together and we were thinking, like, this could get rocky pretty fast. They they start off pretty difficult. And we were talking, we were like, if they go 5-5 five and five to start the first 10 games, that's that's not horrible. Yeah, their schedule is absolutely nuts. Uh, I... I... You, what what you just said is exactly right. If I would sign for five and five, if I was a Jets fan right now to start, they play. I think the Bills in Buffalo, and I think that's their tenth game of the season. Yeah. And if they come out of that game with a ten and ten or with a five and five record, excuse me, <laughs> I'd be thrilled. If they're better than that, I mean, we could be talking about winning the East or maybe yeah. 
I don't know. Like we could be talking about big things because uh, I think you said it. Like they could easily go, you know, five and two, six and one down the stretch of the, those last seven games. That's that's mm-hmm. in the cards for them. But boy, I mean, you run through their schedule. There's, I mean, look, they're going to be a good team on both sides of the ball. So I'm not saying they can't win, but these are going to be tough, tough games each week, and that that kind of gets taxing, especially when you're bringing in a new quarterback and you're trying to like gel together. Yeah, and for those who don't know, they're going to start off obviously at home Monday night against the Bills. Then they're going to go to Dallas. They're going to come back home for the Patriots and the Chiefs. Then they're going to go to Jeff's Broncos for, I believe, week five. We're going to get the Sean Payton versus Nate Hackett matchup, which I'm hyped to see. And then they're going to have the Eagles coming into MetLife. So those first six games are pretty rough. And, um, you know, like we said, throughout the first 10, if you're at at five and five, you're pretty happy. However, one thing that kind of solidifies me being on the side of the over is there's so much youth and there's so much talent that bringing in Rodgers, in addition to those guys just improving even a little bit, I think it's going to be enough to scratch out at minimum 10 wins. Yeah, I mean, I'm boring to say, but I've, because who isn't? Like, I know there are people who, whatever you think of him as a person, or I don't care, but I, I mean, it's, it's hard not to be big on Rodgers' talent and how he is as a quarterback. And yeah, um, he kind of, what, what's helpful about him is it's kind of similar to what Peyton brought to Denver in 2012 in the sense of like, he is the system, you know? Um, yeah. And so it's more about these receivers figuring out how he is and, and, and um, adjusting to him. But, you know, like we talked about when we kicked off the podcast, whether he's bringing in Lazard and Cobb, they, they know how he is. So that's not going to be a huge issue. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's I'm, – I'm cautiously optimistic about the Jets this season. Mm-hmm. So throwing things over to the team and the other locker room in MetLife, the four-time Super Bowl champion, New York Giants. What an offseason they had, too. It's not as flashy. It's not as many headlines. But I think in terms of providing substance to the team, I think they did a really good job as well. And I think they hit a lot of key areas that, you know, they weren't up to par with with some of the elite teams last season. Being they needed athletes. They needed talent. They needed guys with tools. And I think they addressed a lot of that stuff this offseason from the draft to free agency. So. Where are you at with our offseason? Yeah. Um, I I really I, – I would say I was a little less high on it than you were um, until they made the trade for Isaiah Simmons. I think I'm closer to you are after the Simmons trade. I'm not really – I don't really understand what the Cardinals were doing there. Um, but one thing my older brother often said about football trades in particular is – like the team that's trading the player away, if these trades seem lopsided, a lot of times you have to ask yourself why they're trading them away. Cause they have yeah. the most information, you know? So I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I'm wrong and that like Isaiah, Tom, uh, Isaiah Simmons, excuse me, is, is definitely going to be a bust or anything. But what I will say is that, that I mean, there's gotta be a reason the Cardinals were willing to trade him away, but yeah. whatever. We'll see. We'll see at least. I mean, if Simmons ends up being great, then we can just laugh at the Cardinals. Um, mm-hmm. But we, the, the thing I was most excited about, to be honest, was Darren Waller. Um, I mean, that was 
it just seems to be such a natural fit with uh, with Daniel Jones and how Daniel Jones likes to operate. And I'm going to turn it over to you uh, and just leave you with a question here. So when Waller played in Oakland slash Las Vegas, yeah, and he played for Gruden, I, I feel like the Raiders kind of used him almost as like another receiver. Like they they loved putting him on the outsides, and you you could see Gruden not really loving a tight end like that because Gruden's kind of a throwback guy, you know. Like yeah. Gruden Gruden loves the freaking guys who get down and dirty and walk. And Waller is maybe he didn't see Waller like that. Maybe he created a perception of Waller because Waller was such a good receiver. But I feel like his role with the Giants can be a little different. They they like to run a lot of play actions. You could see him starting off off the line and maybe, you know, um, getting a little dirtier, or maybe they'll put him on the outside. What 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 kind of role do you see Waller playing with the Giants? Similarly to what Sean Payton has talked about with Greg Dulcich in Denver, I'm not just bringing that up because you're a Broncos fan either. <laughs> it's literally kind of like the same kind of role that I see for them. That joker, quote-unquote, role, even though nobody – on the Giants has really said that about Waller being a joker. I think that's kind of how he's going to be deployed because he can line up as your X. He can line up as your Y. He can line up whether it's second tight end information. He could be, you know, offset off the line. There's a lot of stuff that he can do just because from a skill set standpoint and an athletic standpoint, you know, the guy's 6'6". He's, I believe, 250, somewhere around there. And you can't really press him. You can't really have a linebacker on him going down the seam. You can't put a DB on him because they're going to be too small. So he can win in so many different ways. I think the best way to handle having Darren Waller in your roster is we don't give him a role. We just kind of put him around, going to put him over here at one play. We're going to slot him over to the next side. And then, you know, the next play, we're going to have a two tight end set. So keeping teams off balance is something that I really think we didn't do well last year. And Having him in the room with Daniel Bellinger, having him on the field with Paris Campbell and Slayton, Hyatt, there's a lot more explosiveness here. There's a lot more guys who can help others get into space, right? So you have so many others who are going to affect the defense, whether it's, you know, a Hyatt go route or a Slayton crosser, and then having a Waller come underneath that for a crosser of his own. There's so many different ways that you can affect coverage because of the athletes we have in offense. And that's one of the most exciting parts of this offseason for me. The athletes that we've brought in from from Waller to Okereke to now Isaiah Simmons, Trey Hawkins, Deontay Banks, all these guys are guys who you can kind of, whether it's offense or defense, say, I'm going to play you on this man, right? So if you have a safety on Waller, he's going to be able to beat him maybe seven, eight out of ten times. And on defense, you have a guy like Deontay Banks or Trey Hawkins. You can say, all right, Deontay Banks, you're 6'1", 200 pounds. Trey Hawkins, you're 6'2", 200 pounds. And you're running 4'4", 4'4", speed. And that is how, in 2023, in my opinion, you are most effectively going to win football games. It's We're going to dumb these things down for you guys. Like when we're playing the Eagles, there's so many run fits that you're going to have to manage. Your guys in the boundary aren't going to have a lot of time to worry about reading the run when they're going against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. You have to trust those guys to play man and then trust your athletes, whether it's a DN or an inside linebacker, to be able to run up into a gap and make a play. So 
I know I kind of got off topic there from just a Waller question, but the athletes that we got are really going to even the playing field. And I'm just looking to this offense to be a lot more explosive. What even if it's a bit more inconsistent than last year in a in a drive to drive basis, I think there's going to be a lot more big plays. I think there's going to be a lot more long touchdowns. And I expect a scoring increase, but at the same time, I can also see a bit of an increase in, you know, maybe like uh, the, this drive stalls because we called a deep shot and somebody got a holding call. Those so like you, you, so it's just you know, I, I feel like I feel like uh, a decent amount of our early listeners are going to be you know carryover from the Knicks. So so tell me <laughs> if this is you know an, if this is analogous because I what you're saying sounds very similar to me. So. Yeah. Last season, the Knicks were third in offensive efficiency, right? And a lot of people were like, oh, third in offense, that's great. Then they go into the playoffs, and they've been doing one thing all season long. They've been, you know, everybody knows the Knicks style. They run this high pick and roll, very predictable. They're reliant on low turnovers and offensive rebounds. Boom, the Heat and Cavs are just like, okay, we're going to try to force turnovers and we're going to get them off the offensive glass. All of a sudden in the playoffs, the Knicks have the worst offense. Yeah. And in my opinion, the Knicks would be well served to, to diversify their strategy. And if that moves them back to sixth or seventh in offense, but makes them tougher to predict in the playoffs, in my opinion, that would actually be a net positive for the offense overall. They'd be a little bit less predictable. They The volatility might increase, but – in the long term, I think it would actually help them. Does that sound similar to like what you're saying about the Giants yeah. in the sense of that they might not their overall efficiency might not be better, but their actual offense is going to be better. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Thank you for simplifying what I was trying to say. <laughs> but it's that's pretty spot on. And with a coach like Dayball to, to put everything together, I'm glad we got Kafka back. You know, there, I don't think there's too many cooks in the kitchen for this offense, and it should be a pretty decent increase in scoring output this year. Yeah, and what what you're saying seems so spot on too because just if you picture the Giants offense last season, you know, anybody who watched a lot of the Giants, even when their offense was rolling like that Vikings game, it wasn't, you know, this huge play offense. It was Jones was like 80% completion percentage, average throw of 8 to 11 yards, you know, like they were I'm not going to call him a dink and dunk offense. It wasn't, you know, Tom Brady throwing a bunch of six yard <laughs> outs, but it was a lot of intermediate routes and it was a lot of high floor, low ceiling plays Yeah. that then they, they carry try to carry it over into Philadelphia the next week. Philadelphia hasn't planned and the giants don't really have a backup plan, you know? Yeah. And I think what you're trying to say is that with the, with the increase in skill position players, they might be able to throw a, a couple of different looks at a team like the Eagles who has them planned well and okay, plan A is not working. Now we can go to the backup plan. Exactly. They, they're really going to have not only a slider off of their fastball this year, but they're also going to have a curveball. They're going to have a changeup. They're, they're going to be able to go against so many schemes and be able to adjust accordingly. And when it comes to the teams like the Eagles, who you said, or the Niners, you have to be able to do that against those teams, especially if you want to make a deep playoff run, which I don't anticipate this year for them. I still think they're going to finish around the same spot, whether it's record-wise or playoff finish. But the talent improvement is just what you want to see on display this year. So I feel like, you know, you, you look across the Giants' depth chart, and there are, to me, two areas 
not a weakness, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. Mm-hmm. And that's, I feel like I could I could have called the linebackers a weakness before they trade for Isaiah Simmons, but <laughs> uh, maybe we can we can rank them a little bit higher. But I'm curious what you think about the offensive line as a whole, specifically Evan Neal, and mm-hmm. then the linebacking core now that they have Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, so with Neal specifically, I'll start off with him because he pretty much is the key to unlocking this offensive line. I keep a composite ranking of my O-line guys from the draft now that I've been doing it for the last three years. And Evan Neal was either the second or third uh, highest ranked lineman that I had after Panay Sewell, I believe. So the expectations for me coming out of college for him were sky high. And I was surprised to see him struggle the way he did, if I'm being completely honest, coming from Bama. But a lot of the stuff that I saw from him was not like, oh, he's not strong enough to play in this league or he's not, you know, quick enough. It was inconsistencies. And a lot of the stuff that he worked on this offseason was with his stance, with his punch placement on his pass pro. And I'm looking for him to have a really good season. You know, I'm trying my best to put my fandom aside. But he looked great in preseason. There's been a lot of uh, – I forgot who he was working with in the offseason. It was – I should know this, but there was a, a former old pro he was working with. I think it was um, Merriweather. We'll, we'll, leave it, we'll leave it to the side for now. But he's done a lot of work in getting quicker. He's done a lot of work. Is it uh, Willie him. Anderson? Will Anderson, yeah. I don't know why I said Merry, Merriweather then. Thank you. So he's done a lot of work with that stuff. And if he can just get a little bit quicker – if he can kind of reach stunts better, that's another one of the big things for him. I think that he's going to really unlock this line because from everything that I saw during his highs last season, his highs are high and he can play in this league. Yeah, I, I'm always a little weary of <laughs> almost any prospect coming out of uh, coming out of Bama just because it's like, I don't know, like – if you and clone you went and played two on two versus like some middle schoolers, I don't know. It's like, it's like what, what, what can we learn from that? You know, like it's, it, it seems tough to, to gauge much from it, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you completely that, that he is kind of the, you don't want to say like they the, the the line will go as he goes, but I mean they did sort of draft him to be they, they want him and Andrew Thomas to sort of anchor the line from yeah. opposite sides of the line, you know. And Andrew Thomas is doing his job, like Andrew Thomas more than he. I mean, it's funny because again to bring it back to that draft, Andrew Thomas was the first left tackle taken. I think yeah. he was, yeah, yeah, and. The early returns, if people remember, were actually that Thomas was going to be the worst. Yeah. That that Becton looked yeah. amazing in camp. And uh, God, what's the Bucks left tackle name again? It's, Tristan, uh, Tristan Wirfs. There it is. Yeah. He, you know, he's obviously ended up being good. And Thomas kind of, you know, got off to a slow start. But now you could make the argument that he's the best. He's the most valuable. And, you know, he's earning every dollar he's making and going to make. Yeah. And you want Evan Neal to match him because you know as much as we were talking about guards and centers earlier if you can kind of just pin down the outsides 
it's much easier to put together an interior line when you've got those two guys who can work on an island on the outsides. Um, yeah. And so just like we were talking about for Becton, he, huge year for Evan Neal and for the Giants for him. Yeah. And just to hit on the interior O-line real quick, because, you know, they don't always get the most love. But if the Giants are starting five linemen, obviously they will, on opening day, and one of them is not Ben Bredesen, which I, I don't think this will happen, but if it does, I'll be pissed. Because his performance, not only from last season, into the preseason, into camp, he has been by far and away, in my opinion, our best lineman. From going out to seeing him, at training camp when it was open to fans, from seeing him in his reps in the preseason. He deserves to be awarded a starting spot, and I believe it's going to come at a right guard, and I believe Izudu is going to be at left guard with JMS in at center. But if it's not, then he'll be at left guard with Gulinski at right guard. And I think that's a big mistake, simply because Gulinski and Evan Neal are really, really bad together when it comes to recognizing stunts or any type of, you know, blitz that's going to take them out of their gap scheme. So I really want him to be on the right side next to Evan Neal, just to kind of give him a little bit more of a base, a little bit more of a stable player next to him than Glowinski. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And I I wish I could match, you know, your analysis there, but that's that's just awesome stuff and something, I mean, I hope a lot of people look out for if, they do go with Neil. Um, and uh, I'm sorry. Uh, who, was, who was the right guard you said was going to join him? If, if uh... Uh, I, I want Bredesen there. I don't want Glowinski there. Okay, sure. Because um, the, depth, the depth chart actually has Glowinski as the right guard right now. So yeah. um, if that comes to fruition, um, that's definitely something for Giants fans to watch is like, oh, shit, they're getting burned on, on stunts, like, often, you know, people can people can be like, oh, shit, Con told us that was going to happen before <laughs> the season started. So, it's, uh, well, I hope, you know, like, I'm not going to say, oh, Brian, fire Brian Dayball if it happens week one and, you know, Golinski's out there right guard. You know, like, Brian Dayball's my guy. He's, he's a fantastic coach. But I do want to see some urgency, right, you know, because even though they played Golinski last offseason, it's not like you don't have an investment in Azudu. It's not like you don't have a decision to make on Bredesen this offseason. There, there's a very clear, um, how do I, there's a very clear kind of break between the guys who Joe Shane has inherited and the guys who he has not inherited or brought in himself. And so far on the, on the interior offensive line, all these guys are ones that he's brought in from Bredesen to Azudu to John Michael Schmitz and Glowinski. Glowinski is the only one that he paid. So I want to see him, or I shouldn't really be challenging Joe Shane, but I want to see how they handle it if Glowinski is underperforming still because he's going to have pretty much no dead cap money after this season. I believe it's about a million dollars. And they should be acting, obviously, as all teams should be, in the best interest of their team. Just, you know, if this guy's not performing, you can take a seat on the bench. So th- this is less of a specific question about the Giants, although you can use the Giants as a, uh, a reference point here. But one of the things I often struggle with, whether it's literally any position, but especially the offensive line, is football is so 
intersected in the sense of like you have 11 guys on the field and things don't occur in a vacuum. It's not baseball. You know, it's not a ground ball 10 feet to your left. Francisco Lindor would make that play. Derek Jeter wouldn't make that play. We can objectively judge that, you know, like, sorry, sorry, Yankee fans. I am one, but (laughs) Derek Jeter is not a very good fielding shortstop. Um, But there there aren't really a ton of external factors. I'm not saying they're – it's perfectly apples to apples in baseball, but it's as close as it's going to get. Football doesn't really occur in an isolated vacuum. You know, a right tackle might make a play because a right guard – screws up or something there it's it's almost like a huge domino effect behind every play so how do you when you're watching something like you know this right tackle right guard right guard setup that you're discussing how do you isolate it so so that you when you're when you're trying to judge his individual performance well it's it's a help that Andrew Thomas is on my team because when I watch the games I really don't watch the left side so I can kind of always just be isolating the entire right side. And then I'll be able to watch a game, you know, throughout the time that it's on TV broadcast and just think to myself like, oh, third quarter, like something happened here. And I want to go watch that in three days when they put it on the uh, NHL.com tape for all of us to see as fans. So I'll keep like that stuff in mind. And then I'll go back and just like keep a timestamp of the game and then watch it out after. And all it is really when you're looking for that kind of stuff is how is the defense starting up when uh, starting when they're lining up, and then where are they kind of immediately going to after, right? So if you have a DN and a D tackle, and they flip gaps, that's just that's just a twist. Or if you have a DN and a D tackle and they both stand inside, and you have an outside line, and you have an inside linebacker come down to the to where the defensive end would be. Now they're stunting. So. It's less about, like, recognition in the moment for me when I'm watching, but I'll just, like, keep a note and be like, oh, damn, something fucked up over here. And then look back at it later. And obviously, honestly, more than not, it's like Evan Neal is past proing into his gap as he should be. And then instead of Glowinski picking up next to him and having a running back fill in the gap, Glowinski's just, like, kind of doing his own thing. So I don't want to put too much hate on Mark because – Mark was fantastic with the Colts, and maybe he just hasn't hit a stride with us yet. But I just want to see better communication out of them. Yeah. I mean, I think you could argue that, like, you know, we haven't even said his name yet, but they've got Saquon back. Um, yeah. And we haven't said Jalen Hyatt yet. I'm huge on I'm huge on Hyatt. As I know Giants fans are, you know, Giants fans were like moderately excited about him, and then he switches to number thirteen, and now all, <laughs> now all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, he's here, he's arrived, you know. But like, yeah, I guy's super talented, but it's all going to start up front with them, especially with Dayball, you know, and, and the stuff he likes to run. Like, they're not. I mean, no team can unless you have like Peyton Manning, but they're not going to be able to do everything they want to do unless the the offensive uh, the offensive line is operating on on all cylinders. The reactions I saw to Hyatt taking 13 were so insane. Like, yeah. from either from either end of the spectrum, either people were like, how could the Giants do this? Or people yeah. were like, yeah, who cares? We don't really like Odell anyway. And I'm like, you're going to lie to yourself right now because Gettleman traded him? Like, are you serious? Right. Yeah, but just the, both ends, it's, it's just insane. Like, 
don't know. It you know who Odell kind of reminds me of in a weird way. He kind of reminds me of Mello, just like the, what he inspires from his fan base, like Car- Carmelo Anthony. Like yeah. super good player, obviously. Um, don't worry, I, I all wasn't the accolades thinking. for what he did on the court. But for whatever reason, inspires an incredibly volatile range of reactions yeah. from from his own fan base. I wasn't thinking about Lamelo, by the way, when you said Melo. Oh yeah, no, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm not a part of that generation. <laughs> yeah, I just I was switching sports, so I wanted to make sure you know there was yeah there was at least an acknowledgement. <laughs> no, I hear you, man, and I think a lot of it, you know, rightfully so, is blamed on him for the Green Bay game. But when it comes down to it. You know, it's not like he wasn't our best player for like five years in a row. So neither here nor there. I'll always be in Odell's corner, but some Giants fans won't be. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, blaming him for that game seems like a little much. I'd probably blame whoever didn't cover Randall Cobb in the back I'm of the helping, yeah. on, on, a, on a Hail Mary. So yeah. he could just, but yeah. Uh, yeah, just me. And just wrapping things up again, odds found online at Bet Online Sportsbook. The Giants over under is set at seven and a half. So you can take the over seven and a half for an even payout. I I'm in, I'm in love with this, but when we were talking about it, I was like, I see why it wouldn't be such a cut and dry case. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna be biased, man. I'm gonna take the over. Man, I don't see it. In a seventeen game season, dude, if they win less than if they win seven or less games. Something went wrong. Some, somebody got hurt. Somebody got yeah, hurt. Something yeah, something went that's wrong. The I mean, and it's funny because I was literally, you know, waxing poetic about how Vegas always knows, and I do believe they always know. So, like, everything I'm saying right now is, like, I promise you, even though it sounds very sure and, like, not humble, there is in the back of my mind a humility that I could be wrong. But I just do not yeah. understand this line at all. I don't get it. They seem like, first of all, Despite their success last season, they still get a third place schedule. Yeah, so that's cool. Like it's not like you know they're they're not running the fucking gauntlet in the NFC. They get they get a couple of third place teams. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I just don't get. It. They just seem like such a. It just feels so safe for them to win eight plus game eight or nine games, and then you know whether they get to. 10, 11, 12 is dependent on certain factors, but God, they got to win eight, right? And, they, and it's not like they have the Jets schedule. Like, no. We, I mean, we were talking to, first of all, they, they win that opening week against the Cowboys at home. And I know, like, all the Cowboys fans like to talk about, like, oh, we're 6 0 in our last six games against y'all. But, like, winning that Cowboys game is very feasible. And then all of a sudden, they play the worst team in the league on the road. And, they could just easily be two and zero with a with a road game under their belt. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, crazier things I guess have happened than the Giants winning less than seven and a half games. But I honestly just don't see it. The biggest thing for me with that Cowboys game is you just don't want to put yourself in a position where you're zero one, and then now you're like, okay, if we don't beat the Cardinals somehow, now we're zero and two, and then we have the Niners, like. I'm I'm sure I'm thinking worst case scenario here and like it is what it is, but you just never want to have yourself in a situation, right? Like having the Niners week three is kind of I guess you could say more of a blessing than having them in like week fifteen because they're so physical. 
But you really want to win that Cowboys game because after that, you beat the Cowboys. You assume you're going to beat the Cardinals. Now, if you drop one to the Niners, it's like, all right, I mean, we got a home game next week against Seattle, and we go to Miami. So it's just the Cowboys game is, even though it's week one, I feel like it's going to be a microcosm of our season. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I, am a little bit too removed and too. What's the right word? I don't want to say rational because that makes me sound like a dick. Like you're some irrational homer. <laughs> I'm just not landing on a better word than that right now. So I'm gonna say rational, but I, I don't mean it in a condescending way to you. I just don't. I mean, the games. I mean, the Giants are gonna be what, like one or two point favorites. Oh, I thought – I mean, I could check the line right now, actually, but I thought it would maybe be, like, an even or maybe we're, like, a half-point favorite. I don't know. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my point is, is that I just feel like laying it all – Yeah. oh, my God, the Cowboys are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Jesus Christ. What? In in New York. Wow. wow. So there you go. I mean, the, the bookmakers are just not high on the Giants because that's them right there saying that – that's them saying that the Cowboys, they think the Cowboys are six to seven points better. For those who don't know, in betting, home field yeah. is typically worth three to three and a half points. Yeah. So if the Cowboys are three and a half point favorites in New York, then you add three to four points. And so, yeah, um, I mean, the bookmakers right there are saying that they think that the Giants are seven to eight points worse than the Cowboys on a neutral field, which is, I don't know. Um, What's even crazier to me, sorry to cut you off, but no, they no. open the Cowboys open as only a two and a half point favorite and they got bet up to three and a half. Yeah, uh I mean the Cowboys are pretty popular, so Okay, that's fair. Um but the Giants are too, so I mean I don't know. Um I I guess my point though is that like even this, so I mean, if you convert this to money line, I guess this is them saying that the Giants are like 40% to win the game. I personally wouldn't put their full season on a game that they're 40% to win, you know, especially week one, because yeah. it's a long season, you know, and I don't, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want Giants fans listening to be like, oh, well, you know, Jeff and Con said, this is the season on the line in week one. They get, <laughs> they get blitzed, you know? It's like, oh, yeah. fuck, season's over. You know, that, that, that sucks. I, I get that. And all all I want to see, like, even if it's, if it's a loss, I want to see them be more athletic, be able to have the coaches deploy the athleticism in the way they should be. And if it's a close loss, I'll live with it. But a bad loss, I'm not going to talk about it. Um, last thing that we wanted to touch on for the Jets and the Giants was, as you guys know, they had a preseason game this week, and there was a little bit of a situation with one side calling the other side dirty and the other side calling the other side dirty. So I know I'm a Giants fan, so I'm gonna try to be, you know, as as dead even as I can be. But Randall Cobb with a block that is a flag now, but was not a flag ten years ago. I get that. Uh, he started some problems with, uh, not started some problems, but he kind of had a block that the Giants took offense to, which led to Jihad Ward giving Aaron Rodgers a little shoulder after the whistle. And if you've been on Twitter, you saw what has come of that, whether it's the Sullen Shepard quote about 
you know, Jet Life Stadium or just the Hard Knocks clip with uh, the Jets players talking about Randall Cobb losing his training camp salary. A little bit of a of a stir up, I guess you could say, or, you know, them just kind of raising tempers. So a little bit of fuel to the fire for Giants and Jets fans when they're uh, when they played later this season. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I was saying earlier, like I kind of, I mean, I think you disagree. Um, and so after I get done, I'd love to hear what you have to say from just like more of a inside the locker room football player perspective. But I kind of just felt like both were wrong. Like I, I, I thought Rogers being like, I don't know who you are. I don't know. That's kind of lame to me. Like, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that kind of shit talk. Dude's like, dude's working his ass off trying to make a football team or, you know, whatever, trying to make his place on a football team. Aaron Rodgers is the first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, do you, is that is that really what you got to do? You got to, like, big time some dude. Um, yeah, his little push was late, obviously, and whatever. Just move on, dude. But then, to me, after the game – the guy like doubled down, Ward doubled down and was like, yeah, I pushed him and I pushed him because like, I'm not going to let our guys get cheap shotted like that. And it's like one, Aaron Rodgers had nothing to do with the cheap shot. So I don't know what you were proving there. Yeah. And two, like, I don't know. I only saw, you know, one or two angles of it, but it didn't look that bad. So like, I'd love to hear from you why I'm wrong and why, like why Ward had the right to be offended by that hit. Because just Cobb's hit didn't look that crazy to me. So it's not as much as the hit itself being some, you know, something that makes you go like, oh, my God, what did he just do? It's more just like Randall Cobb has been in the league, you know, for a long time. He's been around probably a lot of stories with teammates. I mean, we had the, the whole CTE thing with Antonio Brown and how many people suspect that he has CTE from dirty hits. And not to say that Cobb, Cobb's hit was dirty, but we know at this point, receivers, when you're checking back, coming to the ball from downfield, you can't put a helmet or a shoulder to somebody. They want them coming into block, hands up, and just getting in the way of the defender. So, again, if it's five, ten years ago, it's not a flag. And do I think it should be a flag, borderline? I would probably say no, but that's how the rule's written. And... You know, if it's a game, that's still coming back. So I think Cobb, he's not wrong, but he just fucked up and it's okay. Um, Jihad Ward just handled it really incorrectly, in my opinion, because you're going to see them again. You know who's on your schedule. So you kind of should just put it in your, put it in the back of your head, tuck it in your pocket, keep it with you for, you know, for week eight, I believe it is when they play the Giants. Yeah, I, uh, I I guess what you were saying there at the end, that's kind of what I'm driving with. Like, yeah, I, I just think there was a better thing to say. I don't know. I'm being a little nitpicky here, but I just – and maybe, maybe I'm showing my bias here. Like, maybe it's just like I just hear Randall Cobb and I just think like this – this sort of boring slot guy. I don't see him as like a cheap. I don't see him as like a cheap shotty guy at all. Yeah, it's like okay, it's Randall Cobb. Like clearly, he didn't mean anything. So, you know, um, at the end of the day, the Jets and Giants are have never really been like a super interesting crosstown rivalry to me. Yeah. Um, in fact, I know a lot of Jets and Giants fans 
including my family, who both are just like, oh, yeah, kind of root for both. Like, I root for my team, but, like, you know, and I'm sure there are some who will, won't take it that far. But anything to, you know, make that game when they play in October even the slice Mean, mean something? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there for it. Yeah, the one thing that I would say is, to your point, with uh, Rodgers saying what he said to Jihad Ward, Jihad Ward also said the same thing back to him. That was pretty dumb. That was pretty dumb. And he was like, "Yeah, I don't know who you are either." And I'm like, "Bro, you know who Aaron Rodgers is?" Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's 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 kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and then from when Rodgers said it, he also lost to Jihad Ward in the London game last year when he was with the Packers and Jihad was with us. So you guys both know who each other are, man. It's it's okay. Like, stop the cap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I just think it's kind of a nothing burger, and I, I'm, I, I think, I think they'll move on from it pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, I do have to say the Jet Life Stadium stuff is pretty funny, though. From a Giants fan perspective, like to play on words to call it Jet Life Stadium is pretty funny. Yeah, I saw somebody saying on Twitter, "Who? Why did that get reignited? What? What? What was the quote?" Um. I forgot what beat reporter it was, but somebody asked Sterling Shepard, did you see that Aaron Rodgers called MetLife Stadium, JetLife Stadium? And he was like, yeah, is that what he called it? It's not what I call it. And I was like, yeah. Bro, you guys a Jet, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that big a deal either, but. Yeah. And I love and I love Shep, but I don't know. I feel like we, we all got to grow up a little. Yeah. <laughs> so. Promised you guys some fantasy talk as well. So we have some breakouts and some value players who we both like equally. And I'll kick it off to Jeff to just kind of put us down this path. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go a little boring here, but I've actually had the uh, the fortune of doing two fantasy drafts today. So um, to me, one of the most underdrafted players in the draft is uh, Chris Olave. I I can't believe he's not going higher, uh, especially in full PPR leagues. I feel like people don't remember who Derek Carr is. Um, and Derek Carr is like one of the most boring quarterbacks in the league, but he's a really high completion percentage guy, not very volatile. Um, and if he has a target on his team that he really likes, that guy is going to just see – He's going to be fed. That's what that's what Derek Carr does. Um, and it's just really, really easy to see, not to the degree that this person did, but it's really easy to see uh, Olave having a, a Michael Thomas-like season where he just eats and eats and gets all these catches and yards. Um, except you could make the argument that Olave has also already shown himself to be as good an end zone target as Thomas was. like. You know, again, Michael Thomas has some historic seasons, so I'm not trying to undersell those. But Thomas was mostly just like a, not just, Thomas was mostly like an intermediate uh, catch a bunch of like short passes from Drew fucking Breeze kind of guy, you know? And Alave, I can see matching that with some more big play potential. Um, and and to, to kind of cap it all off with him, the Saints aren't going to be good. So, like, that, his game yeah. scripts are going to be positive. He plays in a dome, 
So there's no weather concerns with him. He's going to have good weather through the end of the season. So from a fantasy perspective, you're basically just fading injuries with him. Like that's yeah. it. Um, he just seems like a super safe and high ceiling guy. Um, and I feel like he's not being treated like that right now or with where his average draft position is. What about you? Yeah, I think when it comes to Olave, a lot of the pieces on the Saints are discounted because people are like, oh, damn, they just got Derek Carr instead of like if they had traded for, I don't know, pulling a name out of a hat, like Deshaun Watson last year. You know, if they had Deshaun Watson, everybody would be like, oh, my God. Like, I got to Jeff Michael Thomas in the sixth round, and I got to get Olave in, the, like, the late one. But because they got the guy who's just steady, you know, not a lot of flash, like a Kirk Cousins guy, people are like, yeah, Olave's, like, really good, but he's not going to take a step up this year. And that that's not really the, the correct thinking process with receivers a lot of the times. A lot of the times it's a year-two breakout for them. And with somebody who is as diverse in how they can win as Olave, whether it's a deep route, short route, intermediate route, he could very easily see maybe 140, 150, 160 targets. Right. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Like, I, I just, again, everything, every single thing I said, like, about you just basically, yeah, I mean, he, he, could just, he could just see so many targets. And I feel like, I don't know, again, this could just be a bias from remembering the old Saints offense, but it it, it just feels like, his production is so safe and high floor, which is kind of rare for a young receiver who is viewed as like a, a volatile target. Yeah, and are the Saints like people? People kind of poo-poo them for whatever reason. It's like, do you think they don't have talent because they have Kamara, they have Kendra Miller, they have Jamal Williams, they still have a solid line. They got Derek Carr. They got Michael Thomas. They got a UDFA in Rashid Shahid, who I loved last season. He showed a lot on tape. They've got Jawan Johnson. Jawan Johnson. They got Foster Moreau from, I believe it was, the Raiders. And, you know, there's pieces here. There's pieces here to move the ball. There's pieces here for touchdown upside. And for all of the doubts that I had about Olave as a prospect, he put them all to bed last year. I mean, the guy was pacing – in 15 games last season, he had 120 targets. So, assuming a little bump just because he's probably better this year and two more games on top of that, I think it's really easy to project him for 150. Yep. I, I obviously agree. Who's, uh, who, who, who do you, who, who's yours? My guy is... Um, it's funny. I didn't even like really think about Olave, but once you said it, I looked at the stats and I was like, it's, it's a pretty good shout but my guy is tight end for everybody who misses out on Travis Kelsey, everybody who misses out on Mark Andrews. I am very in on David Njoku this year for the Browns. I think just getting paid what he got paid last offseason with Deshaun having a full training camp and a full season and a full offseason with him is going to do a lot for him. His yards per route run from the last two seasons were 1.56 and 1.55 which are really near elite marks for a tight end. And last year, he was tight end eight in points per game. So you think, you know, 10 of those games or 11 were with Kobe Brissett. The rest of them were with Deshaun Watson, who had no training camp, no, you know, warm-up season, et cetera. 
now he's going tight end 10 in ADP, and he's getting so much more time with his quarterback. I think it's one of those things where you shouldn't be overthinking it. I think it's one of those things where 2 plus 2 does equal 4, where, you know, good player with good quarterback who has more time to build a connection can probably have a better season than last year. So not too much in-depth stuff with him for me. It's just kind of I feel like this is the layup that people are kind of missing out on. Yeah. Um, the only question I have for you about him, and this isn't, you know, questioning your pick. It's more just uh, curious what you think about this. If you think about uh, Deshaun Watson in Houston, you don't, you don't really picture him throwing to tight ends. Like I, I don't even think I can name a tight end that played with him in Houston. I know, I know, I know he had some, but um, and then on the other end of the spectrum. You have uh, Kevin Stefanski, whose offense is basically predicated on involving the tight ends. You know, like he, yeah. Austin Hooper caught a bunch of touchdowns with with the Browns um, back in Minnesota. You know, Irv Smith Jr. Um, Stefanski loves those, loves building around the run. Not really like in a Mike Shanahan move the pocket way, but he loves building around play action and getting the tight ends involved. Runs loves running that. Um, the two tight end sets. So I guess, do you see them leaning more towards Stefanski or do you think that Watson will kind of like, like what, what, how do you think that that juggle will work out in Cleveland? I think, I think it's going to be a pretty happy marriage because first of all, the Texans, something that I'll I'll preface it with this, something that I've gotten in hot water with in the previous years has been like, oh, if this quarterback threw a tight ends here, then, like, he'll probably throw the tight ends here also. But with Houston, they never really had somebody who was, you know, a marquee part of the passing game. They had – I know you said you couldn't name some tight ends, and I'm I'm weird, so I know their tight ends. It was Jordan Aikens and, uh, who caught the t- two-point conversion. I don't know if you remember that or not, against the Colts. And then the Colts lost, and they got, like, the – higher pick it it's whatever <laughs> <laughs> um but yes it was jordan akins and then i believe the other one was pharaoh uh, brown if i remember correctly yeah, that might, that one might be off but he's never had somebody who can come in to arc that's the position and when you pay njoku 14 million dollars a year and you give him the usage you did last season and you saw it succeed you know you kind of nudge it to sean and you're like you know even if you don't like it, throw him the ball a little. Like, please, right. we pay the guy. So that's that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I I know you know the listeners don't really care about this, but I kind of I feel like if Watson can find his Houston form, the Browns are actually set up to surprise a lot of people this year. Yeah, like you know, in a way they were supposed to a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've kind of settled their defense down. And I mean, they should have all the pieces. I know they're receiving, they're receiving core. I mean, people are excited about Elijah Moore getting a second chance in Cleveland, Amari Cooper. Um, yeah, I just I feel like if Watson can be as good as and dynamic as he once was, they could they could have a special season. But it like I I, I can't I can't get away with opening the podcast by saying. They are the Jets and not saying you know they, they are, are the Browns. They are the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So what can go wrong there? They're like basically Murphy's Law over there in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. What can go wrong, will go wrong. So moving a little off from breakouts into values, 
as we're going through the pod, I'm thinking about it. I'm looking over here in my show sheet. I got Darren Waller as my favorite value. But I already waxed poetic for like, what, 10 minutes about Darren Waller. So I want to throw something else for you guys. And sticking with the Saints theme from before, I think Alvin Kamara is being overlooked. And I did a draft today that Jeff was in. And I actually took Kamara. I believe it was in round seven. But double check that for me if you can. So I took him and I was like, so I know this guy's going to miss three games, but JT, Jonathan Taylor, is also going to miss four of his own. And he went in round four. So obviously, you know, I know JT's a better player. He's younger, potentially a better running offense with Anthony Richardson there next to him if he doesn't get traded. But when I watched Alvin Kamara, I didn't see somebody who was washed. You know, I, like when I watched him, I didn't see the same kind of fall off in lateral agility that I saw with Dalvin Cook. And a lot of the peripherals of his, you know, rushing yards over expected and these other kind of stats are still up there with what he was before. So I think if you can kind of build out that running back room earlier on in rounds one through six, maybe sneak him in round seven, maybe sneak him in round eight. That's, that's you know, a good way for you to build value because after week four, you're going to have a, a immediate contributor step in. And then if you have a surplus, you can go and send off one of those other running backs for somebody to fill a hole out in another position. Yeah. Um, as someone who has already drafted Alvin Kamara in a league, I I support that pick very, very <laughs> strongly. Um, and I agree with you. I, I really like the comparison you made to Jonathan Taylor because, I mean, remember, Taylor might miss more than four games. Like, four games is the minimum. Yeah, that's a, that's the baseline of missed games for him. Right. Um, shit. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I think, especially for PPR, by the way, for points per reception, yeah, that always really helps Kamara. Like I feel like that goes under underlooked sometimes is the value of just a guy who can get you, you know, an extra five touches a game through catches. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really like the Kamara pick. I. I'm going to go in a, a little bit of a different direction. I'm going to stay in the NFC East for my value picks, and I'm going to give two because they play for the same team. I was going to stick with just one, but since these guys are on the same team, I feel like both these guys are going too low. Um, Antonio Gibson and Jahan Dotson, both for Washington. I love Antonio Gibson, man. Yeah, he's – I mean, look, Brian Robinson is a heck of a runner, but – he offers nothing out of the backfield as a pass catcher. Um, or at least he hasn't. I'm sure this year he'll just randomly start flashing catching ca- catching skills because I said something. But um, Antonio Gibson is their guy on passing downs as far as uh, as far as I know right now. Yeah, and no, then, he is. Yeah, yeah. And he just always ends up winning that backfield. Like Brian Robinson gets the early down carries – but then as the game goes on, they just lean on Gibson more and more. And I just feel like he's the better football player who's going way too low. Um, and then Dotson, similar similar to Gibson, I, he's going so much lower than McLaurin. And look, McLaurin is – I mean, I feel like you said it perfectly when we were talking earlier. McLaurin is almost one of those guys who, like, the peripherals like more than the actual output does. Yeah. Because McLaurin's so skilled. And he offer or he um, requires so much attention from the defense, but then you look up and it's like 
he's not having the types of seasons that the names he's put into conversations with, like they're not, they're almost not justified. And that's not McLaurin. Hey, I agree. He's really good. And I, he's played on teams with really bad quarterbacks and, you know, everyone knows the defense of McLaurin. This is not McLaurin erasure or hate or, or whatever. This is just from a pure fantasy output perspective. I don't think the gap between, between Dotson and McLaurin is as wide as their average draft, draft position is. Yeah. And then for both Gibson and Dotson, I mean, Washington's the worst team in the NFC East. They're going to be losing a lot. And Sam Howell is probably going to be the best quarterback either one of them have ever played with. Um, yeah. As shocking well, as that is. Yeah, as shocking as it is. And look, I mean, look, I was born in Chapel Hill. I write for the University of North Carolina website. I, I Sam Howell's my guy, you know, like I, I, I believe in him. Um, but I, I just, I just think all that adding up, you, you're going to get, if you see Gibson and, and, or Dotson still on the board and they're kind of creeping, like they're going too low and you should probably take them in my opinion. Yeah. One thing that was interesting with Gibson for me was when he won you know, the, their job in his rookie season, he was doing his best work when he got 10, 12 or more touches, right? Like that Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys, he had 20 touches and he had a buck 20 on the ground, three touchdowns. Like this, this, this guy's not some small Darren Sproles, like pass catching back. This guy is six two two twenty five pounds. Yeah. Like he's legit. And I, I hate to, to kind of put things this way because Brian Robinson, like you said, is a pretty good runner. But I don't think that pick was necessary for them, honestly. You know, I think Gibson, granted, I'm biased because when he was a rookie, I saw his senior bull footage and I was like, I think this guy actually is like a pretty good running back prospect. He can do everything from pass pro. He improved a lot in year three last season. And he's a natural receiver coming from Memphis who just converted to running back. So not only does he have a little bit of a learning curve that you have to deal with earlier on in his career, but the pass catching skills that he has are so natural and such a benefit to a quarterback like Sam Howell. So. And, uh, and the, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on you one more time for just like a general football knowledge question. Cause I can yeah. just be speaking LA ignorantly here, but I feel like teams who don't necessarily have the best tight end option tend to lean on their running backs for checkdowns more. Like, I feel like when you have these, like, option routes or you if you if you imagine a quarterback going through the progressions, you know, you have the tight ends who are, like, way up here, like the Kelsey or the Mark Andrews, and they're running, like, legit routes. Like, they're, like, first, second options. Yeah. But then in the middle, you have guys who are, like, you know, option two, option three in a lot of these routes, and they're running – a much higher percentage of intermediate routes and they're more of like the safety valves for the quarterbacks as they're going through their progressions. Pat Fryermuth comes to mind, you know, like you can yeah. just close your eyes and picture Fryermuth sitting over the middle, 10 yards away from the quarterback and fucking Roethlisberger looking off one receiver, looking off another receiver and finding Fry- Fryermuth over the middle. Yeah. The Washington team doesn't even have that. And I feel like if you core, if you look, at the teams whose tight ends fall in that bottom tier, there's a really strong correlation between those teams and having running backs who see an increase in targets. Is that, do you think that's wrong or or is that, do you think that's accurate? Well, I don't think it's wrong. I would say 
like there probably is some correlation because those are your two main checkdown positions, right? Like, you know, the tight end or the running back. But what I would say is Logan Thomas is a tight end who I believe is good enough to still be a factor in the defensive, uh, sorry, the defensive scheme. And when you are able to put linebackers in conflict like that with a decent enough tight end and a running back who's really good catching the ball, that is usually what helps elevate efficiency for your catches out of the backfield. So if we think back, like the biggest example that comes to mind for me is Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs in Las Vegas. That year where uh, Darren Waller like was kind of really cementing himself, I believe that was Jacobs' second year, and people had to pick and choose really, like are we going to come down hard on Josh Jacobs or are we going to you know sit back and keep reading our keys and stick with Waller? So I do think what you said has some merit, and it's probably better to have a Logan Thomas type of guy for Antonio Gibson than it is to have like a true X or I should say a true alpha in Darren Waller that, you know, that can play that role in the offense because you're not really taking your eyes off of Darren Waller, but when it comes to Logan Thomas, like, you know, you're going to take a look and then you're going to be like, all right, they got him. They'll turn it off to Gibby. Cool. Yeah. I mean, definitely like tons of reasons to be excited about being on this pod with you, but I feel like it, at bare minimum, I'm just I'm just learning something each each time I talk to you. So pretty, pretty sweet. Hey, no, come on. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm being I mean I'm being serious. So I'm not I'm not bullshitting you. No, nah, thank you. Know, you. I mean, it means a lot. Um, <laughs> however, with that, I believe that is our last segment, and I just wanted to thank everybody for tuning in today. Um, you know, Jeff and I both want to do that. And I also wanted to give you guys a reminder that this is the first episode of Strictly NFL. However, going forward, we are going to be behind the $9 paywall for the Strickland. So if you guys like what you listen today, to, listen to today, if you liked, you know, if you learned something or if you just want to keep up with us, you know, we can be found over there behind the paywall. So thank you guys for listening. Um, Jeff, I'm going to hand it off to you if you want to say anything to close it out. Yeah, um, I don't have anything to, you know, uh, push or anything besides everything you guys heard from, you know, myself and more so Constantine today is uh, what you're going to be getting each week. You know, like we've we've talked a few times now and it's really easy to just sit here and talk with them. So, you know, if you guys want just like a really easy show to listen to and, you know, we're not I don't think we're. I don't think we're throwing anything out there that's super complicated, but that's at the same time, I do think we are offering good knowledge, good information, and, you know, we're having fun doing this. So I hope yeah. you guys keep tuning in and we do really appreciate anyone, whether you tune in next time or not, you know, we appreciate y'all, everyone who likes the Strickland likes what we do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We'll see you next week. Hopefully. And one thing just uh, to add before we sign off is, just so that you guys know, like, where my background is and all that. I played in high school. I was a center. Uh, I was a left tackle my junior year, but I was back up that year. Um, so I was a center my senior year when I started. I won all city. Um, I co went to coaching for my high school after that when I graduated for about two years. And then after that, things got busy with school. So I've just been following, um, you know, different content creators on YouTube, trying to keep growing my knowledge of the game. Um, so... By no means am I somebody who's, you know, some like future coach in the NFL or something. Like, no, like I'm. I know Jeff praised me and I appreciate it so much, but you know, 
it, it's very humbling to hear that stuff. Um, and so I just hope that you guys, through hearing me speak about this stuff that you learn, and you know, that's it. I got a passion for it. So that's all. Yeah, I mean, my background is I won my fantasy football league last year, <laughs> and I am a future coach in the league. So you know, I'm not, <laughs> not going to keep myself down. Um, no, um, <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 I think, I, think, I think we can sign off with that, you know? <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in with us, and we'll see you in the next one. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.